Uh, we, we didn't include all the things that were said by different people. One guy, as he was walking away from the mic, said, you know, here's what I think, doesn't matter. And uh, it just gave us a spectrum of where a lot of different people are as we start this series called Living Church today. Now, if you look up here, you can see the graphic here that was put together by someone in our church family. I'm really grateful for his artistic ability and then also some of these photos that have been taken just appreciate how some of the artists in our church thought of a way that we could think about this subject creatively together. And um, one of the things that I wonder as we start this series is, if we were to do a word association exercise, what about you? What's the word or phrase that first comes to your mind when you hear the word church? I'm going to guess that it's probably heavily influenced by your experiences. And I wonder, you know, if it's positive or negative. Wherever you're starting today, I hope you're going to see that I think this next eight weeks is going to help us not only learn a lot more about what Jesus thinks of the church, but also I think it's going to help us be even more intentional in our involvement in this church family. And, uh, but I want to tell you, I think we've got our work cut out for us. Because here's what I think goes unspoken but is often thought of when people think of church. Here's the word. Optional. Optional. And if you're following along the notes, here's what I mean. Here's the myth today, and it exists inside and outside churches. I can love Jesus without caring for his church. I can love Jesus without caring for his church. Now, I don't mean church building. I mean the church of people. That's one of the things I love about these photos. It reminds us that the church is made up of a certain group of people. So, is that possible? I mean, how many of us have heard this party line? I can, I can follow Jesus, but I don't, have, I don't have to be a part of a church. I can worship God out in nature on my own. I need the church. And again, I there's a certain amount of that that's partly true, isn't it? But one of the things that I think we're going to see today is, is that Jesus would really be bothered by the way many of us think about church today, and he would want to do everything in his power to change our minds. And we're going to look at a passage today that shows how he changed the minds of hundreds and thousands of people in such a way that it changed the rest of their lives. And I want to talk to you today about how does he do that? How does he take people that are disconnected, disillusioned, disappointed, hurt, bothered, angry, hostile, and how does he move them towards the kind of devotion to his church that we're going to look at today that happened once among a group of people in Acts 2? How does he do that? And I want to just say right out front, I understand some of the risk and reservations that people have about the church. Um, some of you know I was a pastor's kid, so I had a front row seat towards all the good and all the bad that happens inside church families. Can some of you relate? And so I remember, I think I've told you this before, but I had an experience when I was a teenager. I was in junior high. It was the 70s, so my hair was down to my shoulders. And my buddies called me Nellie. 
And I remember that I was standing outside the worship center one Sunday, and a man who was respected in our church because he was uh, a World War II veteran who had survived a machine gun uh, across his stomach. Wow, this guy was brave. And, uh, but he was the guy that uh, memorized the book of Revelation and would quote parts of it sometimes in our services. And he prayed really loud and said amen a lot. This guy walked up to me and uh, he grabbed my cheeks and he just said, what a pretty little girl we have here. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, so glad I came. I love church. This is awesome. Now, you know, I remember thinking to myself, first thought I had was, I don't need you, and I don't need this, and I don't know what I think about it all. And maybe some of you can relate to that. And the truth is, I also saw that I could hurt people. I mean, I've made some of my most embarrassing fa failures and mistakes in front of people in a church family. And so there's risk. Some of us just say it would be easier. I can love Jesus, but I don't need to care about his church. So today, what I want to talk to you about is, here if you're following along, is how do we go from being distant to devoted to his church? How's that happen? How did he do it in the people we're going to look at in the passage? And, and how might he do it in you and me? I mean, can you literally imagine? Could you picture yourself where your mind was so changed that no one needed to hold a gun to your head? that you found yourself literally saying, I want, I want to be like that. I want to be one of those people. What would that mean for me? What would I have to rearrange? What would happen? Huh, that might be quite an adventure. Now, again, if, um, when we're talking about this, I'm not the best artist, but let me draw a circle here. Jesus, when he saves us, he wants us to understand that there's always going to be people that may stay distant from him. It's not what he wants. But so some people are out here. They're distant. And other people, they become devoted to Jesus and his church. And um, one of the things that's powerful is that when that happens, the whole world can tell that he's working. And uh, that process is still going on today. It still can happen. So let's pray, and then we're going to, in fact, before we pray, it's, it's probably better just to find the place in our Bibles first. Why don't you turn to Acts 2. Acts 2, it's about three-fourths of the way back in your Bibles. It's right after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you brought a Bible, you can look it up about three-fourths of the way back. If you didn't, we have black Bibles right there in front of you in the seat rack. I'd love it if you opened a Bible and just followed along with me. We're going to look at Acts Chapter 2, verses 36 through 47 today, and this message is called Devoted as we begin this series on Living Church. Now, Acts chapter 2, page 759 in the Black Bibles, if you're using one of those, page 759. Let's pray. Lord, I continue to be amazed at how you can work in a human heart, including my own. And we've gathered here today to have you teach us and to learn from you. And we thank you that you are gentle and humble in heart. 
and that you are strong and you are true. And we pray that you would be our teacher today, that I would learn as much as anyone. In your name we ask, amen. All right, so let's look at this. Uh, Verse 36. Now, I want to tell you the background on this. Is six or seven weeks after Jesus died on the cross in Jerusalem, was buried and rose again three days later, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. This is now six or seven weeks after he was crucified. And now his followers are here on earth. There's about 120 of them. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, huge failure. He's been restored by Jesus, and now he stands up to preach a message that is filled with so much power that thousands of people in the crowd respond to it. Here's what he says, verse 36. We pick up the end. Therefore, let all Israel, they were in Jerusalem, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Some of your translations say, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the what, friends? Heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent. That word there doesn't mean just feel bad. It means change your mind about the direction you're going. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are distant, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, pay attention to this verse, we'll come back to it. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number of already 120 members. So that's 3,120 people in their church. We think we have parking problems. Now, verse 42, would you read that out loud with me? It's listed on the gray box at the top. Let's read it together, full voice. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I'll go on in verse 43. Everyone kept being filled with awe at the many wonders and signs the Lord was performing through the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, large area, big open area, corporately. They broke bread in their homes and ate together, small group. With glad and sincere hearts, they were able to trust each other enough. They took off their mask and were able to be real with each other. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Now, verse 47, I've listed in the second gray box. Would you read it with me as well? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I hope today that you remember this phrase from this one Bible verse. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Would you say it with me? They devoted themselves. And I want to talk about how did they go from being undevoted, far off, distant, being devoted to Jesus and his church. How did that work? I think it's because the Holy Spirit was working in such a way that day, and he still is to this day, 
in the hearts and minds of people and through the teaching of God's word, like Peter was doing that day. Notice how it says in verse 40, with many other words he spoke to them. So he'd already, they said, what shall we do? I mean, what do we do with Jesus Christ? He says, here's what you do. You change your mind about what you thought about Jesus Christ. You humble yourself before him and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins. And he will give you, by his grace, his own Holy Spirit to now live inside of you. He will change your whole spirit and life. He will give you a brand new, you will be a new creation. And so that's what happened that day. And these people, while they were listening, why didn't they just go home after they were baptized? You go, hey, thanks a lot. I'll see you at Christmas and Easter. And why didn't they do that? I think it's because they understood what Peter was calling them to. With many other words, he says, okay, when you come to Jesus Christ, he's not only going to make you a new creation, but he's going to call you into a new community with him. When you get connected to Jesus, you get connected to other people who also are connected to Jesus by faith and by a humble response to him. And when that happens, here's what he says. When that happens, you need to give yourself to this new community that he dreamed of in the world. And so he uses this phrase, interesting language. We're not used to these kind of challenges sometimes. He says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Let me just translate. He's saying, there is a mindset in this world. There is a value system in this world that says, being successful here, getting my life to spin perfectly here, that's all there is. That's what it's about. And it's mostly about me being successful. He says, that's a corruption of what God created. That kind of generation, that kind of group of people, you've got to make up your mind. Are you going to stay with that group of people? Because here's where they're floating down the river, towards destruction. The Bible says is that God is going to, there is a day of judgment. And he is going to judge every person about their response to him. And he, Peter's saying, you stick with that group, you're in serious trouble. That's a problem. So save yourselves and step out of that and become part of this new community by faith in your response to Jesus and give yourself to being part of that new community. Now let me just unpack this with you. Because here's what I want to tell you in part happens. Here's how Jesus takes somebody from being distant and disconnected to devoted. He does it by first showing how devoted he is to his church. And once you begin to understand how devoted Jesus is to his church, friends, it'll wreck you in the best kind of way. It's wrecking me. So here's, let's look at it. Jesus' devotion to his church. The first thing I want you to see is what I've already mentioned, is that Jesus' dream. Do you you believe that Jesus was captured and filled with a vision and a dream of what could be here on this earth? Do you believe he came to restore what was lost? Do you believe that he came to regather people around the Lord and himself again? I believe he did. He had a dream, and that was for a new community for us to be his new community on earth. Some of you are saying, Jeff, um, are you taking a little liberty here? Where do you get that? Okay, look at Matthew 16, 18 with me here. This is what he said to his disciples one time as they gathered. Let's read it together. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus think about his church? Absolutely. He says, I will... I want you to know what I'm up to. I want you to know what I'm dreaming about. I'm, I will build my church. What, what's the word church mean? We all start with different ideas. And, the, and what he meant, he used a word that was actually pretty common in the culture at that time, ecclesia. Nathan referred to it in the prayer. 
Ecclesia, sometimes we can figure out the meaning of words by their different roots. Ek means out of, out. And ecclesia comes from a Greek word kaleo, to call. So the idea, if you're following along, of ecclesia are people who are called out and called together. People who are called out and called together. The idea here is that sometimes ecclesia was used even in government talk, in, in, uh, in cities and in governments, as a group of people that assembled together for a certain purpose. But the word actually means called out. Now, remember what we heard Peter say? Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus' purpose, says to people, he is calling you out of this corrupt generation. He is calling you out of just floating along and doing life as usual. He is saying, if you don't make up your mind to build your life around Jesus Christ and his dream, you're toast. And I'm not trying to make light of that. It's a serious thing. Man, we need that kind of truth this day when everything's getting mushy and vague. And he says, come on. Do you understand what Jesus was up to? He didn't just come to take people to heaven. He came to literally have a new community here on earth. Think about this with me, friends. If Jesus only cared about taking you to heaven, then as soon as he saved you, he'd kill you. Right? Just take you to heaven. But he had a purpose for you and me, that we would be his new community and that we would serve his purpose. Now, if you're following along, what I hope you'll see is that he loves the church he died and paid for. This is, this is right here. This is where it all started getting to me, is when I started seeing that he loves the church he died for and paid for with his blood. Look at Acts 20, verse 28, if you would. Keep watch over your... This is Paul, by the way, who became one of the leaders of the church. And he's talking to some Ephesian elders in this town called Ephesus. He's talking to these leaders about the, their responsibility in the church. He's about to leave them, not see him ever again. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. Read this last phrase with me. Which he bought with his own blood. How devoted is Jesus to his church? Totally. He bought a church. He's dying on the cross. He's not just thinking about a bunch of disconnected people. He's dreaming of his new community, his church, his ecclesia that he bought with his blood. Well, then, a little while later in my life, I first gotten married, and uh, I was reading the passages that, you know, about husbands and how we're supposed to treat our wives. And so I come to Ephesians 5.25 one day, and it wasn't the first time I'd ever read it, but for some reason I'd missed this before. It said, husbands, love your wives. And I remember thinking, that's right, I need to do a good job at that. Okay, Jeff, make sure you love Trish. The next phrase is what wrecked me. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you love your wives like that, you'll be a great husband. Man, that's devotion. He gave himself up for the church. And suddenly, all this idea that I had about optional, suddenly all this idea I had, well, you know, church is extra credit, stuff like that. All of a sudden, now it's, it's starting to look pretty stupid. And I'm starting to go, oh my goodness, Jesus loves his church. And when that started 
coming home, it just started changing everything. Well, there were some other things that changed me. If you want to turn your notes over on the back side. If you look here, each one of these could be a message in itself. So I just wanted you to have this. You can look at this later. But let me just say them out loud and make a couple comments before we turn the notes back over. The Bible says in the New Testament that the church is the body of Christ. How how much do we respect Jesus and his body? Wow. Jesus' physical body left, but now we are his physical body here on earth. The composition of us together. And the Bible says that we're actually like body parts or members of a body. That's like us now. We've been knit together. We, We may not be working together, but that's what we're supposed to do. And then there's this incredible thing. 1 Corinthians 12 is one of the texts there. This phrase, Paul says, one body part can't say to the other, I don't need you. But that's what I'd been thinking in my mind. I don't need you when you pinch my cheeks and call me a pretty girl. I don't need you in order to still be a Christian. I can do it on my own. Jesus says, you're part of a body, man. You're not doing a solo. Second thing, the bride of Christ. How much do you think a husband, if he's worth the salt, loves his bride? Third thing, building or temple or house sometimes. But the idea is of living stones. Um, I remember thinking to myself when I, when I understood this, the Bible says is that we all, those of us that have received amazing grace and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we all, like living stones, are being built together that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. We might be for the praise of his glory. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I thought the goal of the Christian life was for me just to be a good-looking solo brick. Anybody relate to this? I thought, I'm a pretty good-looking brick. Jesus goes, if you're doing a solo, you're not being the kind of brick I want you to be. I want to build you together. I want to connect you together so that you're part of my building, my temple, my house that glorifies me in the world. Wow. Fourth one, family. Wow, there's so much about family. He actually has changed our whole identity where now we're related to each other. Flock, his sheep. I don't know if you were here for the John Gospel series that we just finished called Encountering Christ. Oh, man. It did a number on me. And one of the accounts that we studied last was Peter. Remember, we just saw the words he preached in this message. Well, he messed up big time. He threw all of his buddies and Christ under the bus. The night when Jesus needed him most, on the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter said, I'll be there for you, even if the rest of these people aren't. And he didn't. He denied he even knew Jesus. He buckled. He should have been off the team. Jesus meets him on a beach, John 21. And Peter, it's an awkward moment at first, and Jesus says, you love me? Peter goes, Lord, you know I love you. That would have been normal for Jesus just to say, good to know. But Jesus, the next thing he does is, what does he say? Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Do you see the connection? He says, Peter, I will build my church. And if you love me, love my church. If you love me, love my flock, love my sheep, build into them. 
pour your life into them. Don't be just this one of these people that lives your solo life. Oh, my goodness. So if you turn your notes, actually, don't do that quite yet because there's a paragraph I wanted you to read with me right underneath that. Let's read that before we turn it over. The church is not a physical building, but people graciously saved by Jesus Christ who are knit together by Christ and His Spirit so they can glorify God and edify others in this world and the next. And again, on your own. It might serve you well the next few mornings or before you go to bed. Just read some of these passages and say, Jesus, I'm out here. Would you please, you know that I'm trying to listen to you. Would you help move me from here to here? Help grow me up, Lord. Help me break this American rugged individualism that I've been steeped in and help me to know your heart for me and your church. Now, if you turn your notes over, what I want you to see is that when, when Jesus is talking to people, he really, here's what he was trying to tell Peter and what he's trying to tell us, if you're following along. Love me, love my church, we're a package deal. Love me, love my church. Let me just take another example. We talked about Peter, who was out here in failure, right? Distant. Still didn't get it. Thought it was about him just being a single body part or an individual brick, right? Did you know that there was a guy that hated the church? He was hostile and hateful. He was way out here. And uh, his name originally was Saul. Eventually it was changed to Paul, which means little or small. So Saul, who became Paul. Paul eventually wrote a majority of the New Testament, wrote one of the most glorious books on the church and its purpose in the world in Ephesians. Man, he taught so much. But Paul was out here. He was killing people. He was holding the coats when the first martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death after he was falsely accused. And he saw how Stephen died, and he saw the humility, he saw the vibrancy in his faith, and it, I think it started getting to him. But he was persecuting the church by arresting people, having them in prison, sometimes beaten and killed. I mean, this guy did not like the church. God meets him, Acts 9, on the Damascus Road, and with a blinding light, knocks Saul to the ground. Saul's laying there dazed and confused, and he hears this voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why? Are you persecuting me? Who is Saul persecuting? The church. Jesus' people. He says, when you hurt them, you hurt me. Why are you treating me like that? You think you're doing God a favor. Come on. And then he says this next thing. In Acts 22 and 26, we see the fuller story when he retells his testimony. Why are you kicking against the goads? The idea here is that goads were often in uh, uh, carts. The ox, if they decided to get stubborn, they would try and just kick their legs like that, and there were these sharp objects that would just goad them a little bit, sting them. Sharp objects that would just, and would just remind them, hey, just keep pulling here, man. He says, why are you kicking against the goads? You know what I think was going on? Stephen's testimony was wrecking him. 
he realized he didn't have a relationship with Jesus like Stephen did. So he says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, who became Paul, became one of the most devoted people overnight to the church. And he gave the rest of his life as one of the leaders who took all kinds of beatings, all kinds of things for the church. What in the world? No one was holding a gun to his head. No one was paying him big money to do this. Something happened to this guy. And something can happen to you and me. But when Jesus says, love me, love my church, we're a package deal. I've shared this before. I've never forgotten this story. And maybe you've heard it before, but I think it may help you understand this a little better like it has me. Rosemary, Ian Pitt Watson, told this story several years ago. Rosemary is my youngest child. She's in her 50s now, but when first she met the rag doll, she was only three. We had just flown as a family from London, England to Melbourne, Australia. It was a long trip for a three-year-old, and when we arrived, tears of exhaustion were in our child's eyes and on her cheeks. At the airport, friends were waiting to greet us, and one of them had brought a welcome gift for Rosemary, a little rag doll. She was too tired even to say thank you, but she clasped the rag doll to her face, hiding the tears, and the rag doll gently dried her eyes and cheeks. That night, she went to bed, the rag doll still clasped tightly in her arms, still drying the tears. The next night, the tears were gone, but not the rag doll, nor the next night, nor the next, as days and nights turned into months and months into years. The rag doll became the most precious thing our daughter possessed. She had other toys intrinsically far more valuable, but none that she loved as she loved the rag doll. In time, the rag doll became more rag than doll and began to get a bit dirty. Cleaning was a problem, for it made it more ragged still. The sensible thing to do was to face the fact that the rag doll had never been worth much and was now no more than a bundle of dirty rags that ought to be trashed. But that was unthinkable for anyone who loved my child. If you loved Rosemary, you had to love the rag doll. That was part of the package. And then he comments, we are God's ragdolls, intrinsically worthless, trash if you like, yet precious beyond all computing because we have been loved to life by one who says, love me, love my ragdolls. When you and I begin to understand how devoted Jesus is to his church, and it begins to stir in you. If you're at all alive to Jesus, it begins to stir in you the desire to be devoted to him and his church like he is to you and his church. And they devoted themselves. It's a beautiful word. It's a beautiful word. What does devoted mean? If you're following along in the notes, devoted means to give oneself entirely to something. The idea here is it comes from a Greek word called proska kartoreo. The word pros means towards or to. The word kartoreo means strong. And the idea is to move strongly towards something, to stick with it, to move in that direction wholeheartedly. And again, it's helped me just to know that it means to continue. In fact, verse 46, it says they continued to meet together in the temple courts and in homes. 
That's the same word. They, they, they devoted themselves to continuing to meet. They continued to continue to give myself to something with, intra, you know, with, excuse me, with intense effort, even despite difficulty. You ever seen devotion? Devotion, if you're following along, is a love word. It's a want to of the heart and will. I didn't say dutiful, I said devoted. Devoted means that somewhere along the line, Jesus got a hold of these people's hearts so deeply that they became devoted to him and his church in a way that no one had to hold a gun to their head. No one had to guilt trip them. There was a want to spirit. We talked about this last summer. Churches that have a healthy spirit usually have people in them who have the attitudes of spiritual hunger and humility. Ongoing hunger, ongoing humility, which means we don't always get it right, but we stay hungry for Jesus. We stay humble when we're wrong, and we stay teachable. We never think we've learned it all. And when you have that kind of spirit going on, can you imagine, have you ever been part of a group of people like that? It's amazing. And that's what was going on. Years ago, I read this story. An aged countryman visited London for the first time, and in a great art gallery, he looked at different paintings. He was especially impressed with a picture of Christ dying on the cross, and as he gazed fixedly on it, a deeper love for the Savior flooded his heart. With great feeling, he exclaimed, Bless him. I love him. I love him. Those standing nearby heard him. They saw tears streaming down his careworn face as he stood completely oblivious to the presence of others. And four of them came close to him and said, We too love him, brother. And though they were strangers to each other, they were drawn together in love and adoration for the Savior. When you love Jesus, you're drawn closer like other people alongside of you, and you begin to devote yourself to what he says is important in the world. So you may say, you know, well, how, do, how does devotion look around here? I mean, this is pretty lofty what we're talking about. Can you spell it out for me? Like, if I started becoming more devoted to Christ and his church, what, what would happen to me? Well, if you all noticed our banners up here on both sides that say, love the Lord, love one another, serve the world, do you mind if I ask you to just to repeat those with me? Love the Lord, love one another, serve the world. We believe that God's calling us to declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves and that the solution to that problem is for us to keep learning how to love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. Love the Lord because Jesus said it's the greatest and most important commandment. And many of us go, okay, I'll sign up for that. I'll try and learn how to do that. But I really don't want to necessarily love one another. Jesus goes, oh, no. If you love me, I'm going to teach you how to love one another. It's going to be messy. It's going to be times where it's going to feel risky. You may feel like quitting at times, but I'm asking you to stick with it. I'm asking you to devote yourself to loving one another for a long period of time because some things never happen until you've done it for a while. How do we say at Cherry Hills? We say we want to love the Lord by making Sunday mornings and corporate worship a priority in our lives. We are going to love him by loving his corporate church. We're going to gather on Sundays so it sets the tone for every other day of the week as we love him individually. We want to love one another by being part of a small group or a life group. And again, I don't know if you've taken that step, but if you want to become more devoted to Christ and his church, you're going to have to overcome fears. You're going to have to rearrange your schedule, whatever it might mean, because he's going to ask you to be part of a life group. Does that mean that it's always going to go dandy? Maybe not. 
But how much are you committed to sticking with it? Because he'll help you by his grace. And can I just stop and say something? Some of the most difficult people in the church, including that guy that pinched my cheeks, have taught me more about character and Jesus and patience and how much he loves me than even the people that make me feel warm and fuzzy all the time. The last thing is serve the world. How do we serve the world? I want to just ask you, do you have any concern for people in our community? Any at all? Is there any way that you have a serving spirit that says, Jesus, show me how to serve someone or a group of people? The church was especially mindful of those with less. And so is there any of that kind of on your heart? A coworker, a family member, a neighbor, a classmate? Is there anything like that? Is there anyone you're serving in Jesus' name? How are you serving them? Are you showing and telling the gospel? Are you doing something that touches a need in their life? How are you doing that? That's what we, we ask each person. We're all trying to learn how to do this. And what I want you to see is that in this, by loving the Lord, he wants us to care about people inside the body of Christ and also people outside the body of Christ. Some of us here today, we're not part of the body of Christ yet. We're still on the fringes or you're still not even sure what you think about Jesus. We're glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. But at some point, what he wants us to do is learn how to build up believers inside the family of God, and he wants us to reach out to unbelievers outside the family of God. And that leads to this last major idea before we bring this home, and that's his witnesses to the world. Now, what I want you to see here, by the way, is how do we see ourselves serving the world? How do we see ourselves sharing more of Jesus with other people? Back in 2010, September of 2010, you may want to write this date down. If you go to our website, we did four or five messages called Just Walk Across the Room, where we talked about how strategically we want to have trust-filled, loving relationships with people outside the body of Christ in the hope that we can share the good news of Jesus with them. The bottom line is, without going into a lot of detail, we believe that the best way is not to go door-to-door -door with people we don't know, as much as to build trust-filled relationships where meaningful conversations can take place in the hope that it may lead someone to be interested in Jesus Christ. It's not our job to make people interested. It's not our job to get people saved. It is our job to be witnesses and to build loving relationships, okay? So here's, here's, here's what's at stake. Some people are why? Well, first thing is that our sin has separated us from God, but Jesus saves. Our sin has separated us from God, but Jesus saves. And then the next thing we'll see here is he sends us out to share him with others. By the way, in that first line, it says John 7, 24. Would you be gracious to me and say John 8, 24? It'll make a lot of sense if you actually read it later. But John 7, 24 is wrong. He sends us out to share him with others. Jesus said in John 8, 24, I tell you the truth, you will die in your sins unless you believe in me. Whew. That's no longer being stomached by some people, even inside the church. They're teaching that no matter what people do, they're gonna turn, it's all going to turn out right. We're all going to a good place. Peter said, no, 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 no. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Come on. Jesus is calling you out to be part of his new community, and then he's going to send you back into the world to be his witnesses, his light and salt in this world. Are you in? Inside? Outside? Best families I know 
are those who really do love each other deeply and say, how can we bless someone else? Who can we have at our table? Who can we reach out to? Who can we care for? How do we do that together as a family and individually? Best families I know, most living churches I know are those who say, how do we love each other inside, build each other up, strengthen each other, and care about people outside? So here's the closing questions. Out of love for Jesus, who am I building up inside his church? Out of love for Jesus, who am I building up inside his church? Could you, could you name like one situation in the last week or two where you found yourself saying, oh, Jesus, give me a love for other people in your church? Maybe an encouragement note, maybe a phone call, maybe listen to them carefully, maybe bring bread, fix something in their house that's broken, give an anonymous gift. But who are you part of building up believers? Because that's when a church is really working on all eight cylinders. But the other part is, who am I caring for and sharing Jesus with outside our church? Who am I caring for and sharing Jesus with outside his church? Now, if you want, you can put your notes away once you've got that blank filled. And I want to ask you if you put your Bible down and just pull out this invite card that hopefully was on your seat when you walked in. Friends, some of you know that because I'm a pastor and I tend to work a lot inside the church, that I have to literally, out of understanding Jesus' dream for a church that's both inside and outside, I have to be a lot more strategic about how I build relationships outside our church. I don't want to be like the normal research that says after two years, the average Christian has no non-Christian friends. I don't want to be like that. So I have a number of friends that I pray for, that I have lunch with, that I send texts to and I care about. And I had to be thinking about this, but this is called an invite card. If you're willing, again, you don't have to take this if, you, if this isn't a helpful tool for you. But over the years, we've found that sometimes you may be amazed when you start to say, Jesus, grow me up in your understanding, my understanding of the church. You may be amazed. You start having conversations with people that they go, and I don't know what to do. I don't... And you go, you know what? With no pressure at all, if you'd ever want to join me, our church family is trying to learn how to follow God. And I think you'd be surprised we're normal. And I mean, I know if you want to check the website because you're still scared, that's okay. But if you try it just once, sit with me. I'd love to have spiritual conversations with you about that, but maybe this could be helpful. And we've watched God use this little simple card some people carry them in their billfolds or wallets and they just wait for that opportunity and they say, hey, seriously, no pressure, but if this could help you, think about it. Easter is five weeks away. Five Sundays from now, we're going to have a baptism service. And we're hoping to see many people who have not met Christ yet hear the good news about Jesus Christ because we are his church in the world. And we want to be a living one that glorifies Jesus and lifts up his name. Amen. So we have people standing down front. Let me pray before you go. Did you know that a lot of churches have a sign over their doorways that as people leave, they can see it. It says, you are now entering your mission field. If you're a follower of Christ, and you may not be yet, but I'm glad you're here. But if you're a follower of Christ, 
You are now entering your mission field. And I cheer you on. Love Jesus. Love his church. Be devoted with the rest of your life. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. I sense a kindred spirit with a large core of people in this church. I thank you for that. I'm moved by so many people's devotion, first to you and then to your church. I want to pray for those people that are distant, and they may have good reasons to be. And I pray that you would bring them further along and let them see your dream in technicolor. And Lord, may it be said, there was once a church in Springfield, Illinois, hopefully many, who loved each other and loved people far from God. Amen.